1: consumed with myself, because I'm consumed with the present, suddenly the things of this world become more attractive, and we're drawn into these things, rather than adding to our life these characteristics, these traits of a Christian man, of a Christian woman, or a young person that will help me get beyond myself to be able to have the focus, to be able to have the vision that goes forward to see the promises and the hopes of Christ in my life, and to be able to look backward and remember, you know what, that's the way that I used to be. I don't want to be that way anymore. I want to move forward into the presence, into the promise, into the hope that is mine in Christ.
0: The Bible says that anyone who loves the world is at enmity with God. In today's message, Pastor David teaches us that when we focus on the things of this world, like houses, cars, careers, power, and prestige, we are diametrically opposed to the Lord. Further, worldly focus is always self-focused. If we are to be like Jesus, we need to put God first. As we surrender our lives to the Lord's leadership and focus on loving Him and others, the things of this world grow strangely dim. Now here's Pastor David with part two of his message, The Believer's Swan Song from the book of 2 Peter.
1: church of Corinth had been together for a number of years by the time Paul wrote to them. As the writer of Hebrews, whoever you may perceive that to be, as he writes to the church, the church had been in existence for a number of years. He says, you're you're not growing, you're not maturing. There ought to be a maturity in your life. There ought to be a point in time where the things that have been poured into you week after week after week is now to that point where now you are a teacher of the word. And you're able to take the knowledge that you have and you're able to give that to others. Not just children in a Sunday school class, but even to other adults to be able to share the reality and the truth of what God has done within your life. Along with our Tangelo tree, we also have grapevines. We've got three grapevines. The other thing I know about the grapevines is they usually do not produce very well until they're about three years old. It takes about three years for them to get established, for them to get grounded, to really build up the strength and and, and all that they need to really produce good fruit on those branches, those vines. And again, I, I think about the message of Jesus to the disciples there in John 15 about abiding in the vine and about that ability to be able to bear much fruit. Why? Because we're connected in the way that we ought to be connected. We're living, we're we're gaining strength and, and nourishment because we're well connected to the vine who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So back here in 2 Peter First thing that Peter warns us is that our Christian lives, without these characteristics, without these traits, they're going to be barren. They're going to be unfruitful. And then in verse 9, he goes on to say, For he who lacks these things, not only are you barren and unfruitful, he says, but you're also short sighted, even to blindness. And you've forgotten that you were cleansed from your old sins an interesting use of words here that the Holy Spirit gave to Peter as he wrote them down and yes I believe that through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit inspired him to write the very words that he wrote down because the words have meaning and they have purpose it's not just the idea The word that he uses there, depending upon your translation of the Bible, your version might say that they are short-sighted, or they can't see far off, or they're near-sighted. It's the translation of a Greek word that simply means to close your eyes in order to see, to close your eyes in order to see. And some of you have that problem, even as I look around this morning. Because, again, if I were to take my glasses off, I would squint to be able to see. You're closing my eyes to see. That's the Greek word there. It's where we get our English word myopia for nearsightedness. And we need corrective lenses to be able to take care of that. We might be able to see clearly up close. But the things in the distance, we can't see. They're out of focus. It's that idea again, in a spiritual condition, that you're unable to discern anything in a distance, whether it be from the past or in the future, because in essence, you're consumed by the presence. Your focus is directly on the very close things, the present things. So because of that, we become blind to the point of not being able to discern the consequences of our past actions or the hopes and the promises of what's before us in the future. Those who suffer from that spiritual myopia, they live only in the present. They they, they live only in the day, only in the hour, or maybe even just the very moment. And, And like a babe, they're consumed with their own desires. They're consumed with their own comfort. Peter tells them also that this one condition. Because of that, they've forgotten even that they were cleansed from their old sins. And again, the tense of that word in the Greek on well, that has forgotten, it has the ideas they have received forgetfulness. You've received forgetfulness forgetfulness. Since they didn't diligently seek after these other traits within their lives for their Christian character, those things that they should have sought after, instead of receiving that that they should have sought after, they received forgetfulness. And beloved, that, that's an attitude of heart. That's an attitude of a mind. And, and so they live, and so they act out in their lives as if they're still a part of this present world and present system see, I'm not growing in Christ and not adding to my life all of these things. And because I'm consumed with myself, because I'm consumed with the present, suddenly the things of this world become more attractive and we're drawn into these things rather than adding to our life these characteristics, these traits of of a Christian man, of a Christian woman, or a young person that will help me get beyond myself to be able to have the focus, to be able to have the vision that goes forward to see the promises and the hopes of Christ in my life, and to be able to look backward and remember, you know what, that's the way that I used to be. I don't want to be that way anymore. I want to move forward into the presence, into the promise, into the hope that is mine in Christ. But rather than that, they stay consumed with the present things because that's all that they can see. Beloved, that's that's, that's a dreadfully woeful situation for a believer to be in. At that point in time, they don't take responsibility for their own lives. They don't take responsibility for the choices that they make, because they have no strength, and they have absolutely no victory, and they live their entire Christian lives barren and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You might ask, well, Can that person even be a Christian? That's a question they need to ask themselves. That's a question they need to be certain of before God. Because there's no assurance in that kind of a life that you are a believer. I'm not saying that these things cause you to be a non-believer, and we'll look at that in a moment. But again, there's no assurance. Once again, that's why Peter says in verse 10, he says, "'Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent "'to make your call and your election sure. "'For if you do these things, you will never stumble, "'for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly "'into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, "'Jesus Christ.'" Peter understands that someone living barren or unfruitful as a believer has absolutely no surety of their salvation. Don't come to me if if your life is barren and, and there's no fruit in your life as a believer and say, yes, but pastor, can't I be certain that I'm saved? Because 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago, I prayed this prayer. I filled out this card. I walked this aisle. I can't give you that assurance because many people walk an aisle, pray a prayer, sign a card. There's absolutely no change of life. There's nothing of Christ that's really living in them. What Peter is saying, the assurity that we have of our call and of our election is that our lives are growing in Christ, that these things are happening. And, And I'm not saying we become... Perfect, and I'm not saying that there's there's not seasons of time within our life that we even move away from these things. Some of you that know my own personal testimony, I had been saved for a number of years. I'd been in ministry for a number of years. Then I walked away from the Lord about three and a half years. If you'd have saw me on the streets, if you'd have talked to me for very long, you you you'd have absolutely no idea that I was a believer. Why? Because my life was absolutely barren. Totally unfruitful. And these things of the Spirit weren't alive. They weren't living in my life. Was I still born again? Yeah, I believe that I was. I believe absolutely. So my question for you, do you know that you know that you're truly saved? That you're truly born again, that you are truly headed for heaven. What's your assurance of that? Is your assurance an act that took place 20 years ago or even 20 days ago? Or is your assurance the reality that the Spirit of God is working and moving within your life? What's your criteria for having the right answer within your life? If it's anything less or other than the reality of spiritual fruitfulness within your life, as Peter says, if these things are yours and they abound, if that's not your assurance, then possibly you've been led astray. Possibly you're far from the truth of God's word. And again, I I feel I need to reiterate the, the fact that it's, We're not doing these things in order to gain salvation. Don't get the cart before the proverbial horse. These things come because we are saved, but they are also the litmus test, I believe, to see if we truly are saved, to know whether or not God really lives within our lives or whether the Holy Spirit actually has presence within our lives and residence within our lives. That's why we need to diligently seek these things. We need to be diligent about these things, because the reality of our life in Christ, folks, I believe depends upon it. The reality of what really took place. Peter wants you to have a firm confidence of the truth of your salvation, and so do I. Peter wants you to know that you know that you are known by Christ. And so do I. Peter wants you to be assured in the knowledge and in the hope of your salvation. And so do I. As your pastor, I, I plead the same things for you that you'd be able to stand strong and grow, that you would be able to see that your calling and your election are sure because you are ever growing in your relationship with God. And you know that the Spirit is abiding. His Spirit is bearing witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. That in your life there is this personal communion with the Almighty. You know that you're saved because you're known by the one who is able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. When Peter adds that idea, for if you do these things, you'll never stumble. We again need to be certain of what he's speaking about here. He's not talking about someone who was saved and then because they didn't persevere, now they've lost their salvation, now they're no longer saved. That's not what he's speaking about. Again, our salvation doesn't depend upon our work in order to gain it, nor does it depend upon our work in order to maintain it. It is the grace of God. And if it's anything other than the grace of God, then it's our works and it's not salvation. It is the work of God's hand in our lives. By grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. Otherwise, you know how we'll be. I'm saved, too bad about you. I got my act together. Why don't you get your act together? But that's not how it works, is it? It's by the grace of God that he takes us wherever we're at. I mean, we can be lying in the pit or living in a penthouse. And the Spirit of God interrupts our hearts, reveals to us the great need we have for a Savior, that we can't dig ourselves out of the pit, nor can we build a high enough penthouse to be able to be pleasing to him. But it's only by the grace of God. And in the midst of that grace, you know what? We blow it at times, don't we? Amen? Okay, I thought there was only three of us. Okay, We blow it sometimes. But in the overall experience, what Peter is saying here is that if these things are being added to our lives, if I'm diligently seeking after these things in our lives, you know what? I'm going to be less likely to be tripped up by the things of this world. I'm going to be less likely to stumble by the things of this world when my eye is continually focused on the prize. If my my focus is continually beyond myself, beyond my circumstances and conditions, if I get out of myopia and start looking into the distance and realize the greatness of all that stands before me in the hope and the promises that are mine in Christ Jesus. If my heart and my mind, I keep growing in that and I keep adding these traits in my life, And when these things come into my life, they're going to be less likely to trip me up. And you see the reason why I got tripped up for those three and a half years is suddenly I started thinking just about me. I just started thinking about me. I didn't think that, well, maybe God has a much bigger plan going on than what I thought was happening because suddenly I was faced with a great amount of disappointments within my life. And suddenly those disappointments consumed me. And so I said, then forget about it. It's not worth it. And I wandered. But God brought me back. God reeled me back in. I'm glad he did. I'm glad he did. We see the understanding that, again, our life in him, our ability to be able to stand firm, to stand fast in him, is still even all about him. It's about our Lord. The writer of Proverbs tells us in Proverbs twenty four ten. He says, "If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. So, how do I get strong? How do I how do I get strengthened within the things of the Lord, so that I'm not battered about by every wind, by, by every roadblock that comes, and I'm, I'm not knocked." Totally off kilter every time something comes in that disappoints my life. How do I stay strong in that? Is by understanding that our strength is in the Lord as we are strengthened by our constant communion with Him, by being in constant connection and in fellowship with Him, sharing that reality. And the Psalms are filled with this idea, this understanding that the Lord is our strength. Listen to these as I share these with, and understand that you need, all of us need to focus on the Lord. It's not just me turning over a new leaf, it's not just me being more determined, but it is focusing on the Lord, and as I focus to Him, then I'm diligently seeking and adding these things. I can't diligently add these things to me if I'm not focused on Him. So getting first things first, in Psalm 18, verse 2, it says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust. He is my buckler and the horn of my salvation, my high tower. In Psalm 27, 1, the psalmist declares, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? My focus on the Lord. Psalm 37:39 says, the salvation of the righteous is of the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble on through Psalms there's, there's multitudes of those that speak about that the prophets speak about that reality and the truth Isaiah and Jeremiah and Daniel and Ezekiel and Joel and Micah all of these things all of these prophets declaring that our strength is found in the Lord it's not in our abilities to be able to do it but our strength is found in the Lord and do you remember the words of Habakkuk in Habakkuk 3:19 a very familiar verse Says, the Lord God is my strength. He makes my feet like hinds' feet or like deer's feet, and He will make me to walk on high places. Some of your versions say on high hills, but I have a problem many times when I say that and it comes out sounding really strange. He makes me walk on high heels. So my, so I, I like to make it, he makes me to walk on high places, okay? That, that gets the point across a lot better for me. Peter ends this thought with a statement in verse 11. He says that if these things are yours, an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Once again, this isn't about salvation. It's about the journey. It's about the rewards of a race that's run well. This is the idea that was behind Jesus' words when he was speaking in reference to that good steward's commendation. Again, the good steward had done a good job. And what did Jesus say? That, again, the master of that good steward would say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Why? Because he had been busily active about doing his Lord's good pleasure. It's the idea behind Paul's words in Second Timothy chapter 4. And this is where Paul writes his swan's song, if you would. He's writing as, as an older man, knowing that very soon his end is going to come, not by natural causes, because soon he was going to be martyred for the faith. And he writes to t- Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, not not in a boastful way, but in an honest evaluation of his life and his assurance on the knowledge of the promises of God that are his through Christ. Paul declares in verse 7, he says, I have fought the good fight. I've finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, There's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge shall give me at that day. Oh, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Beloved, that's why we need to diligently add to our faith virtue, and to our virtue, knowledge, to our knowledge, self-control, to our self-control, perseverance, to our perseverance, godliness, to our godliness, brotherly kindness, and to our brotherly kindness, that agape love. It's only then that your swan song is really going to be sweet. It's only then that the melody that you proclaim is going to be pleasant to hear as a testimony for those that will yet follow behind you. It's only then that you're going to be able to hear those words, welcome home, good and faithful servant. Yours was a life that was lived for the glory of my son. So what will your swan song be?
0: We're so delighted you were able to join us for today's edition of The Open Word. Pastor David Landry has been taking us verse by verse through the book of 2 Peter. If today's message has sparked your interest and you want to hear more, we invite you to visit TheOpenWord.com to find teachings throughout Scripture from Pastor David. Another great way to hear each new teaching as it's made available is to subscribe to The Open Word podcast on iTunes. You'll never miss a teaching and you'll have it available to you no matter where you go. You'll find a link at TheOpenWord.com. The Open Word is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. And here to bring you a personal invitation to join us is Pastor David.
1: Hey, thanks, Chris. You know, I'd like to personally invite you to join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for a time of worship, fellowship, and studying the Word of God. We meet every Sunday at 9 o'clock and 11 o'clock in the morning, as well as Wednesday evening and Saturday evening at 6.30. You can find our address and directions by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church page. I look forward to meeting you in person and sharing this journey of faith with you. Thank
0: you, Pastor David. If you're in the Casa Grande, Arizona area, be sure to drop in soon to experience a service with our group of imperfect but redeemed believers. Once again, you'll find service times and directions along with more information about us when you visit theopenword.com. That's all we have time for today, but be sure to join us again for more insights into the book of 2 Peter right here on The Open Word small